ready or not, here I come, you can't hide. We want to apologize in advance because we are using Zoom, we're staying safe at home so the audio quality might not be the best, but bear with us. I'm here with Irene and we have two amazing guests today. We are very excited to talk to a very dynamic duo today. We have two wonderful, wonderful women from CESA uh, standing together to end sexual assault. Today with us we have Bianca Orozco. Bianca, she is the Community Education Coordinator at CESA. She, is, uh, she has a passion for serving marginalized communities and she actually has a bachelor's in psychology and feminist studies and a master's in social work. So we have a lot of wisdom in the room. And it's also my pleasure to introduce Elsa Granados. Elsa, she has a bachelor's in psychology and a master's in public administration. She's currently serving as the executive director of CESA. So ladies, welcome. Thank you so much for being here with us. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, thank you. So today, we first, we want to get to know you a little more because the, the work you do is very, very impressive. And we would love to know a little bit about what you guys do in your, in your day today through your current work. Oh, sounds great. Um, so as community education coordinator, my day is different every day. Um, there's some consistencies, but for the most part, every day is different and unique um, at this time, especially. Uh, but overall, what I do in my role is go out into the community, um, into schools, talk to parents, organizations, um, and their clients, and talk about sexual assault and sexual assault prevention. So how is it that we can start shifting our culture, um, start changing these deeply rooted beliefs and attitudes to um, end rape culture, to stop perpetuating sexual assault as well? Um, I collaborate with other community members, especially now during April, which is Sexual Assault Awareness Month. So what can we do to reach communities while they're at home? How can we educate folks while they're at home where it's on a click of a button, it's you know on their social media, it's a quick activity that they can engage in, and how can we get the word out about that too? Um, so that's where I spend most of my, my efforts in in my day, just trying to reach out, collaborate, um, brainstorm ideas with my own um, uh, colleagues too about how we can we can reach the community and we can um, reach them with this education and with our services and um, with our support. It's pretty impressive how even with this situation going on you guys are still doing things to reach out and you know make sure that you guys are getting out there. Of course yeah it's it's um, you mentioned earlier or it's about adapting, right? And, and again, we're prepared to serve whoever needs our services and to help out and to support um, as well during this time. The other thing is that one of the reasons that we feel so committed to um, continuing to offer our services during this time is that what we know is when there is a community crisis or a natural disaster, what tends to happen is that survivors of sexual assault are re-stimulated in their feelings. People feel overwhelmed, out of control, like they don't know what to anticipate. Things are coming toward them that are not familiar. And so survivors of sexual assault, it re-stimulates them back to a time when they felt similarly. And oftentimes that's at a, when they were assaulted. And so they begin to uh, feel re-traumatized in their feelings about the situation. And so what has been very um, helpful, I think, is, is for people to know that we're here, that we're, our hotline is still available, 
that they're able to call us up and process and just kind of work through those feelings. So the work you do is essential now more than ever. Could you share a little about how your journey prepared you for what you're doing today? Um, I talked a bit about it too, but I think once I started my um, education and going into my bachelor's and taking these feminist studies, um, it was like a world opened up. So I had these ideas already about equality and about respect and all of that, but then putting a label on it meant so much more. And then seeing, learning about sexual violence and seeing how marginalized communities are being affected and how um, certain gender roles or gender expectations um, feed into uh, and perpetuate sexual violence. So I think it's all of it coming together throughout my education and then realizing, hey, I want to play a role in this. I want to play a role in either uh, supporting in um, ending sexual violence, kind of coming to Stessa and taking on that role. And um, I think it all was a very, it's a very connecting, very step-by-step -step situation that happened throughout. Um, and I'm very thankful for that. Um, that I was prepared in that way through my studies and now being able to do that professionally. I'm glad that you mentioned that because there is a lot of um, communities, especially the Latino community or the African-American community where, you know, they just, they do try to like protect girls and little boys, but once it does happen, they really don't do anything about it. They just kind of protect the family member or the friend of the family or whoever that person is you know, they don't really want them to go to jail or it's just incredible. It's, I think it's something that organizations like yours, you know, need to change because it's not okay. And I'm so thankful for organizations that actually go out there and try to make a difference. And we try to, uh, that's one of the primary things that we try to do is educate um, not only survivors themselves, uh, because often survivors themselves buy into the myths about sexual assault, but also anyone that touches their life, uh, whether it be a coworker, a family member, another loved one. And what we try to do, not, not only do we provide support and information and services to survivors of sexual assault, but also to their loved ones. Why? Because often loved ones although they have very good intentions um, and they're well-meaning, oftentimes they don't know what to say to a survivor to, in order to support them. They don't know how to support a survivor. And so when they call us, then we're able to talk with them about what are some of the best ways to support a survivor, but also how to take care of themselves so that they're in the best position to be able to offer support. And what we also talk with them about is to debunk some of those myths about sexual assault so that they have a perspective of, or an accurate perspective of what it's like and uh, what the survivor is going through. Now, oftentimes we have to remind people that it's the survivor is not to blame that it doesn't matter what they were wearing, it doesn't matter if they were drinking, it doesn't matter if they were out at night alone, that always the responsibility for an assault belongs to the perpetrator. The other place where that responsibility belongs is to us as a society, as a community, because we have in our hands 
to be able to say to a perpetrator, we are not going to tolerate that kind of behavior. We're going to hold you accountable. Absolutely. How do you deal, especially Elsa, that you've been with, with Stessa for over 20 years, when you overcome, when you see these challenges in terms of that, that mindset, the shift of the mindset, how do you overcome these challenges in, in, in your work? Well, it's a slow process. It's a slow process because not only are we changing um, any given person's mindset and what their opinions are and how they um, have integrated issues about sexual assault, but we're changing an entire culture. So we can make inroads with one person or one family, but what, what happens is that they are surrounded and they're immersed in a culture that supports sexual assault. And so we have to try to think of ways along with Bianca to try to move our community together away from that mindset that blames a survivor or buys into the myths about sexual assault. That's great. Uh, and I just wanted to know, like as a person, how do you deal with all of this? Because it's a lot to take on, you know, like for example, for us, even just, we're not dealing with the survivors ourselves, but just talking about it and just, you know, learning about it, it's just so heavy. How do you like just do this every day? What do you do to keep yourself motivated and just vibrant and happy and not let sink you down? I would say um, it's a combination of things. I think first and foremost, checking in with yourself. Um, to see how you're feeling because oftentimes when we're so enmeshed in a project or we're so enmeshed in whatever efforts we're working on um, we don't stop to notice we're go 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 so if it's you know um, what is my stress response and is, are these signals coming up what am I doing to take care of them um, that's one of them to stay motivated I think is holding on to um, the little joys or, or the big joys too. Um, the changes, the successes, um, the feeling I get when I'm talking to parents and parents are making really great points or they're very much aware or they're saying, my parents didn't talk to me about these topics, but I'm trying to change that generational practice and talk to my kids about it. And just feeling very happy that people are taking those steps and they're applying it. I think that keeps me motivated because I'm like, okay, like there are changes happening. Like Elsa mentioned slow, um, but it doesn't mean they're not happening. And I think that's what kind of keeps me going every day. I think I have a similar experience as Bianca um, in that, you know, that you celebrate those successes, look at what hasn't been as helpful, look at how to change it or how to make it uh, better and in a, in a way that our community will hear it. Personally, uh, you know, you hear the stories and they, they do affect one. And so at some point, what I noticed in myself, especially after being in the field for so long, is that I notice when my uh, view of humanity gets skewed. Yeah. And so what, what, what has worked for me is to go back to nature and to go camping or go for a walk on the beach or um, just look at the beauty of nature. For me, and it's unique for everyone about how to care for themselves in this kind of work. For me, you know, when I see a beautiful beach, it somehow brings back into perspective where we fit in as, as humans. And so then it brings back into perspective 
our humanity. And the other thing that I think um, helps me is when I see new people becoming involved in the movement. Because people who are new bring a great deal of energy. They bring a spark in their eye. They bring new ideas. They bring just a lot of energy. And so when one is around that, you absorb that and you give it back. And so I think that those are some of the things that help in mitigating what we call in the field secondary trauma. That is beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that because I think a lot of people can apply that to what we're going through right now, right? We tend to forget our role. Like sometimes we're, we're takers in when the world needs us to be givers right now, right? That's, that's fantastic. Now, could you share more about STESA? So how do you offer these services to the public? So we, you know, usually this, the, during this period of the COVID-19 has uh, demanded and compelled us to think about things in a different way. Because we are very much an organization that offers in-person contact. You know, we are counseling. Even if someone calls us over the phone, many eventually say, can I come in? Can I talk to you in person? The work that Bianca does, she goes out into the community and speaks with groups and interacts with those groups and or students at schools. And so for us, it's having to change that because we, we offer that in-person counseling or sometimes, I'll give you an example. Uh, one of our counselors at one point shared with me that um, she was uh, working with a client who had to go undergo a forensic exam, a medical exam. And she, the client wanted to be distracted. She didn't want to be thinking about what the nurse was, um, that the nurse was collecting evidence from her body. And she just wanted to be distracted during that time. So she asked our counselor if she would sing a song with her and asked if she would hold her hand. So our counselor held her hand and then the client taught her the song and together they just spent the time singing and holding hands. And later the client reported to her that that um, gesture got her through that medical exam. Other clients, you know, they're, they're going through the, that medical exam and they just, um, they just want to know that we're present there. They don't want to hold our hand. They don't want to talk. They don't want anything. They just want that presence. And so we have to step up in the way in which a client wants to be supported. And that's part of our model of empowerment is that we don't know the answers for that client. That client knows the answers. We just try to surface what those are for each person. We try to get them to explore within themselves what would be healing for them. Again, it's very unique for each individual. And so that's, that's what we tend to follow. We tend to follow the model of empowerment and take our lead from, from the client. 
Wow. That's, that's big. I'm over here crying. <laughs> um, I think that because as a survivor myself, I think that just knowing that there is someone there for you is just so big. You know, it, a lot of people go through it alone, completely alone. And just having that one person that it's there to support you in any way you need is just huge. It's just so big. The other thing I think is that survivors are often surrounded by a network of people. But sometimes, as I was saying uh, earlier, they don't, who don't know how to support them. And they, as a survivor, are not sure about how to ask for that support or that help. And so in talking with us, we talk through how they can ask for and give support because it goes back to giving and taking. So maybe a loved one will give them support, but at some point the tables might turn. The, the loved one may need support in supporting the client, if you know what I mean. Yes. So when that happens, you know, we try to instill a sense of in clients that they have the tools within themselves we just need to be able to surface them. One of the things that we really want to bring awareness on is how your work is supported. Because we, I, I, I had the fortune of working in the nonprofit sector before, and it's very challenging to focus on your mission while you have to worry about, oh, well, do, I have, do we have enough funding, right? I think in the ideal world, organizations like yours should not should have that support that you're giving to the community and especially what you're saying the, the fact that you have the empowering piece makes your support sustainable because you're not generating a dependency you're helping someone find the answers from within and that model is so powerful how how is your work supported how are you guys keeping your doors open to do what you do so we're uh, funded through a, a many different ways um, because I think that that's the best practice because that way if one kind of funding source goes away you don't go away you still mm -hmm. have others to rely on and so we are funded through state and federal grants and local government we also are funded through um, very generous individuals and businesses as well as foundations. So everyone in the community, we try to give our story about what it is that we do in our community and what, how do we help make the community a better place and why it's important for all of us to support not only morally but financially an organization like ours. Because I think the when we end rape, when we end sexual assault, we will all benefit, all of us, without question. I, I, I just know that deep in my heart, that the, some of the challenges that we face right now, um, you know, it, they, they will go away when, when sexual assault uh, goes away. And I have that vision along with Bianca, along with our volunteers and other staff members that yes, sexual assault 
is an seems like an overwhelming issue in our community, but we have in our hands the means to make it go away, the means to eliminate it. So I'm I'm very confident that in a future there won't be sexual assault. And if there is, we all of us, all of us, without exception, will know exactly what to say, how to support a survivor, and how to hold perpetrators accountable. What are some important things that you guys believe everyone should know about sexual assault and how to, how to prevent it from happening in the future? Bianca, um, chime in here, please. Sure, sure. Um, I always go back to this, and I feel like it's become a mantra now um, in my work, but it really, really, really is our very deeply rooted cultural and societal beliefs. And it looks different for every generation, but that doesn't mean that they're no longer permeating our society. Um, we can talk about, um, if we say like human sex trafficking, for example, as we do provide services to survivors of human sex trafficking. What is it, you know, what ideas is it that makes a person be objectified and be used as a commodity? And the person who purchases that, the perpetrator who purchases um, to feel like they can do with their power and their control, whatever it is that they want with this, with this individual who is a person. Um, if we're looking into gender roles, you know, what, what is it that we think makes a man? What is it that we think makes a lady? And then how do these contribute to how people will justify sexual assault? Oh, well, if she would have been well-mannered, if she would have been a lady, this wouldn't have happened to her. If she would have dressed like a lady, acted like a lady, or, you know, if we say, be a man, get over it, or, um, you know, men are just aggressive like that. It's biological. These are not biological. Sexual assault is not inherent. It's something that's learned. I mean, it's something that can be unlearned. So going in there and kind of um, dissecting these ideas and like, where do they come from? Where, where are they still showing up? Because maybe not everyone will think, you know, women belong in the kitchen. Maybe the younger generations will say, well, my mom works, you know, that's different. I don't believe in, in sexism. I don't believe in misogyny. But then putting it in the idea of, okay, what happens if you see a girl um, wearing this? oh, well, they're, you know, and they'll use a derogatory, a derogatory term. And it's like, those are so normalized that they're so easily um, stated and without a thought. Um, and those unfortunately contribute, they're applied to the way we respond to people and respond to survivors as well. Um, so in efforts to prevent it and to eliminate sexual violence, it's going in there and shifting the culture and shifting these ideas and the way that we pass them down and the way we express them so, so normalized sometimes. What are some ways that people can get involved and help your organization? I think that in our movement, in our organization, there's room for everyone, everyone. And in fact, we need everyone's help if we're going to bring an end to sexual assault. And what I think what, uh, what helps most is for someone to join our movement and our organization or the work of our organization in the places that interest them. So if someone wants to work with clients, great, come on in. We have a training to offer you and at the end you will be able to work with a client. If you want to educate the, the community, great, we have that. And so, or if you don't want any part of that, but you have great computer and graphic skills, great, we need that too. If you, what you wanna do is help file uh, paperwork, we have that too. So it's really about the person's interest. 
I think also um, what we've noticed throughout the years, and I've had students come up and tell me, um, they're doing their own efforts, you know, they're putting in their own work in their own schools, in their own organizations, with their own organizations. So sometimes they'll come up to me um, and say, you know, um, I have a feminist club. I had someone tell me I had a feminist club at a high school. How can we bring you in or how can we collaborate to have an event or to do this at my school? So like I also said, there's many ways people can be involved with our organization. Um, and also just emphasis on the fact that people are doing a lot of things in the community too. And, and if we could be a part of that, I think that's my favorite thing, the collaboration um, aspect of it as well. That's great. I have, um, I have another question. I mean, as mind blowing as it is, there's people that are against um, the Me Too movement, for example, they think they're just feminist or they're lying. Have you guys faced any kind of like repercussions or any struggles or anything like that? One of the main benefits that I have seen from the Me Too movement, so yes, it's great that survivors are coming forward. But the other thing is that the general public is asking questions and is talking about the issue. That's, the, that's one of the best things that we could have hoped for. Because until we all bring out the issue into the light, and discuss it and discuss the places where we don't agree and discuss, well, what, what do you think about when someone dresses in a certain way? Until we surface those, those, that, those, that kind of mindset, we're not going to make inroads into ending the, the, the crime. We're gonna continue to spin our wheels. And so I think it's been wonderful for people to ask questions. Much of what we have seen in relation to the Me Too movement is, it are those questions. People have said, well, can you tell me about why people delay in reporting? And I say, absolutely, I can. Let me outline a few things about reasons why. And so then they come away from that conversation, not only having voiced their opinion and their their, their thoughts, but also gaining new information and information that is accurate. So I think that that's been wonderful about the Me Too movement. And I, you know, yes, people say that there's backlash. I actually welcome that backlash because what I know is that people are thinking those things anyway. They're just not saying them out loud. And now if they say them out loud, we have the opportunity to counteract. Very, very powerful. How about, how about you, Bianca? How do you feel when, when you get some backlash, especially when you're out in the community doing workshops and you get, you know, especially in our culture, you might get some naysayers there. How do you deal with that? I, I, agree, with, I agree with everything that Elsa said. And I always see it um, as curiosity too, mm -hmm. which is a more positive connotation where people have these ideas already and we're aware, but not, they'll not always identify them. And if they do, it's welcome. Because again, we can provide that correct response, right? We have the, the, the information to provide that. And fortunately, I've never had anyone be very um, shut down to it or just negate what I'm saying. They're open to the conversation. Um, and I think it's also in the community and in the comfortability that's built within the presentation and the safeness of, of, of when we're having a presentation and we're having these meetings. Um, but again, it's, it's always about the education part of it and the conversation and the hearing out. So where is it that you're coming from? Where did you hear this? Oh, you know, um, 
my parents told me this or I grew up seeing this or whatever it may be and then just opening up and developing into that um, I think it's been an opportunity that I've had the chance to have but it's never been in, in a more negative aspect it's been more curiosity from the individual in terms of people in feeling helpless in a situation where they have experienced sexual assault or someone that they love have, has experienced it what would be messages that, that you would like to share with people going through something like this? I think first and foremost is to let the survivor guide their own healing process. It's unique to each person. Whatever my ideas are for healing, I have to set those aside and, and go along with what my loved one and the way that they want to heal. Um, and, and follow them in that path because that's what's going to be the most helpful. Um, it doesn't serve anyone, anyone. For me as a loved one to say, oh, well, I think she should get into counseling. She may not be ready for counseling. Oh, I think that um, she should call the police and file a report. May not be ready for that. May not be ready for that at any time, ever. And we as loved ones need to accept that and perhaps work within ourselves about why we are so insistent on taking someone down our own path. As the community, as support systems that we may be for the person who's suffering or a survivor, our response as well. Um, as also mentioned before, survivors will often blame themselves if they have accepted these myths, if they have heard these myths. Um, they may not think that anyone will believe them. So being straightforward, I believe you, this is not your fault, is the biggest step. And the first response that a survivor will hear when they disclose, you know, for the first time has a great impact on them and their healing and then their efforts to reach out for more uh, support and more resources. So if they're faced for the first time with words of support of being believed, um, that will have a great impact in their healing and um, propensity to go out and seek services and seek support. Fantastic. How can people find more about STESA and learn more about your guys' services? Yeah, so we are online. We are on Twitter. We are on Instagram. We're on Facebook. We have a website as well. Um, I can go ahead and name the URLs right now if, if you would like. Um, the web page. The web page would be good and then we'll add everything to Sounds great because all of our, our social media is on there as well. But our web page is uh, sbstesa.org. Um, information, our phone numbers, our services, and our social media can be found on there if folks um, log in. And it's in bilingual as well, Spanish and English. So as your hotline, that one is also in English and Spanish, right? Yeah. The hotline? Yeah. Oh, okay. Confidential hotline, 24-hour hotline um, in English and Spanish as well. And the other way that people can find out about us is word of mouth. Because especially when people have received services, they can say, they can attest to, you know, how it felt to, to come and be supported here at STESA. Um, or maybe you, the person doesn't know about, about that STESA exists. And, but when they face a sexual assault, if they've heard it from a friend, oh, you should go to this organization that I know of, then they're more likely to go because they trust that friend. Irene, do you have any more questions for them? I was just going to ask you the same question. 
no, for me, it's been, it's been a pleasure uh, learning more about your work and, and getting inspired and empowered by what you're doing. It's, it's been such, a, such an honor and a pleasure, you guys. Thank you so much for your time today. Well, thank you for the opportunity because as we were both saying, it's the more people know about us, then the more people will come forward and use our services. Sometimes people say, are you busy? And I say, yes. And they say, oh, that's too bad. They, they've expressed some disappointment. And I say, no, it's actually really great because what we know is that assaults are happening and the fact that people are reaching out for help is awesome. So we want to be busy. We want people to come and use our services. Yeah, well, thank you so much. And you guys are heroes in our eyes and we'll do anything we can to support you and help you and spread the word. Thank you so much. Thank you guys. Thank bye -bye. you. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Gonna find you and take it slowly. Ready or not, here I come.